Yo, 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 it's Josh. It's your boy Darius. It's Matt. And you are now tuned in to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Let's go. I'm trapped in. I'm trapped in, I know it. Hey, I know I'm trapped. I'm trapped, I'm trapped. I know I'm trapped. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look. I heard my nigga talking about me. Whisper getting close. Uh, nigga, same breaking bread. I don't even know you. Hey, so what's up, y'all? How y'all doing, man? Another week, another day. Hey, I'm chilling. Hey, how y'all feel about the whole graduation cancellation <laughs> hey, the third time? Yo, this is like the the third time we've talked about it on the pod. <laughs> it seems like it changes every time, but another one. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. They said that they uh, canceled it. It's just going to be strictly uh, what is virtual. It, virtual. Yeah, mm-hmm. virtual. So I, and I think this is going to be the final one, I'm, I'm hoping at least. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I said this on the pod, the, whatever the last time we talked about graduation was, probably last week. The only thing I'm worried about is if they try to use my Carolina card picture in this little virtual thing, I might have to go off. Oh, like I'm pulling up to the admissions <laughs> office, registrar, whoever it is. And I'm throwing hands with somebody. The picture from freshman year. I can't not that. Before freshman year. That's honestly. what I was exactly. thinking. Yeah. You fill out your little app, well, not the application, before you're sending your money and stuff. That's what the folk going to be looking a little rough. <laughs> yeah, but, hey, the third time's a charm, I guess, whenever they cancel it. So I didn't get my hopes up in the first place, but it is what it is, man. Another week down. I swear these weeks are kind of flying by now. It's already uh, mid-July. I was about to say June. It seems like it's just June, but mid-July. Uh, the summer is vastly going away, so that's just how I am with work and everything. How about you, Adarius? Yeah, um, it's crazy because, like, like you said, the summer's coming to an end. Uh, leases are ending, so like I'm having to find someplace else to live. Mm. Uh, so you know, real world starts pretty soon here. Trying to yeah. find a job uh, and get all that stuff squared away, but um, still hanging in there, doing pretty good. I can't can't complain too much and it is heating up outside it's Facts. about that time when you walk outside you start sweating immediately you just mm. took a shower it's like gotta go take another one when i get back because i went to food line had to hit up the baked beans sausage and rice today the old school meal Ooh, yeah. i was like god dog i'm sweating already so yeah so it's, it's getting hot out here in the south i feel that 100 percent, bro i remember back in the day i was just used to hoop or uh, play football in the backyard with friends and it would be hot yep. and i'm like man how did i do that bro? like <laughs> i would just be playing basketball or something and i guess i didn't realize the heat then but now i'm like nah that, that heat is just too much go outside see that sun it's like let me bring it back inside use this fine ac yeah that's a fact but nah that hooping reminds me of uh the starberry documentary y'all yep. get a chance to check that out almost definitely a lot of different comments for that one um on netflix just came out i think this week but uh the story of stefan marbury and his his life, his trials and tribulations. I think this is one of the best documentaries I've seen pretty pretty recently. You know? Definitely a sports story that need to be told. Probably definitely a, almost of a forgotten guy. Cause yeah. a lot of, we'll talk about it later, but he had a lot of his success in China. Like I probably, if you would not have mentioned it, I probably would have never watched it, but now I'm really happy because like, man really been going up. Yeah. Um, I ended up looking up the documentary or i followed him on twitter and instagram um because i know we were talking about the starberries like whatever's happened to the shoes and the black owned businesses and stuff um started looking them up like maybe a month or two ago but then i saw that this came out i was like oh man perfect timing yeah so i think to start off i think it was pretty cool that i I did not realize that so many of his brothers had been really good basketball players and the whole thing was one of them got to make it. I think their dad, his dad kept saying one of y'all boys got to make it. I think it was four brothers, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, four, yeah. I think it was five total. It was pretty cool. Uh, almost one of his sisters almost adopted, not adopted him, but she, she kind of took on having a child because of so many. And yeah. his mom was like, I ain't really trying to do all that crying and stuff. So I'll take four from there. Hey, just in case y'all don't know who Stefan Marbury is, <laughs> uh, he is an American professional basketball coach and former player. He played in... Oh, yeah, let me back up. Yeah, he played for China. He played in China for a little yeah. while. Yeah, he, he started for- off on the Timberwolves, right? Yeah. Him and Kevin Garnett played together on the Timberwolves. Then he went to the Suns. Then he went to, I think, the Nets. And then the No, no, no. It was Nets, then Suns, then Knicks. And then he got bounced out of the league yep. to China. Yeah. So. He played in the NBA from 1996 to 2009. Um, he also, you know, played on the American Olympic team. Yeah. Um, Whole nine, like y'all said, he played in China. He's also a coach yeah. uh, in China now as well. He does, yeah. philip, he does philip, phil, how y'all say it? Philanthropic. 
philanthropic. Yeah, he does that kind of work. There you go. <laughs> hey, this, this is choppy so far. <laughs> hey, it's coming to you live and raw. <laughs> um, but y'all might know him uh, from the clothing line slash shoe line, um, Starberry. I remember in middle school that was a uh, that was a thing. I, I can't say it was a big thing, but I do remember it, and I do remember uh, there being a big hoopla about it. Uh, him having his own brand. What y'all think about that? Yeah, I remember like. Because we grew up not having a lot of money at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember I had a pair of Starberries in every color because they were like $20. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I was big on the Starberry train. And anybody who knows me knows I'm really not that big into sports as y'all have probably <laughs> <heard>. <laughs> But, um, yeah, definitely rocked the Starberries. Had no idea who he was at the time. But, yeah, huge impact on me personally. I remember he, we went to my one of my mom's friend's house, and he was on Oprah, I'm pretty sure. And that's yeah. when I first started seeing him. And then I started seeing the shoes. My mom kept, but you want a pair? And I was like, no, nah, I think I was rocking the Shacks anyway. So I was like, I'm going to yeah. stay low to Shack. But I feel like it was a pretty big deal probably in uh, New York. And it, even, I guess, in Columbia, like in Aiken, different places. Yeah, and the name of the documentary is A Kid from Coney Island. So Coney Island, New York. But uh, you mentioned that part about the shoes being like $20. And Darius, you had all of them in different colors. That was kind of one of the main selling points of his... Uh, whole philosophy i want to make shoes that are affordable and people that look up to me can't afford them and buy them so i am 100 down with that that was one thing that in the documentary it was a part where uh lebron was saying i'll never wear 20 dollars shoes and then after that like the stock of uh the shoe company kind of tanked and everything and no one really wanted to buy it i thought that was a little uh sneaky move from lebron like I think that Stephon Marbury was doing something to give back to the people, give back to the community. So for him to say that was kind of disingenuous, I feel like. A hundred percent. Whenever I heard it, I was like, and LeBron, it just goes to show you the power of one person. Yeah. And like the brand that you build. And that was LeBron, even when he was a little bit younger. But it's like, and I don't even know if nowadays if he would say that. I feel like yeah. as he's grown a little bit, even though he's big with Nike, he's got the lifetime deal. I don't think whenever he was, uh, if him being who he is now, because he probably understands, like, ah, that probably destroys somebody who was just trying to be an entrepreneur. Exactly. And like you said, just give back to somebody uh, who could afford it. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the LeBron that we know now is obviously, you know, he started schools and stuff like that, doing all this other <laughs> philanthropic stuff. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just crazy to me to hear that, like, he would say something like that. But, um, it also just goes to show, like, the evolution that a person yeah. can have over time. And I'm sure that he's gone through, like, you know, different media trainings and stuff like that, like how to navigate those sorts of conversations now because of the impact that something like that had back yeah. then. So. Yeah, and I think even the name of the documentary, A Kid from Coney Island, y'all know LeBron's thing is, like, just a kid from Akron. Yeah. I think that pays homage to how much their stories are similar, or at least the similarities between their stories. Not saying they're identical or anything, but uh, just... Stefan Marbury, he talked a lot about how in Coney Island, he got, he had to get it from the mud, as yeah, people yeah, say now. Um, and he was just playing basketball literally like 18 hours a day, 19 hours a day, um, really putting in that work. And you see what, where he ended up. So him and LeBron are very similar in that aspect uh, of coming from very rough backgrounds and um, just how that ended up playing into what they do today. I'm glad you said mentioning the work. I always feel like a lot of times parents who kids are inevitably going to be great as far as a sport specifically, yeah. they can kind of tell from a young age. Like, for example, I think his brother said that they play basketball from like 10 a.m. to midnight. Yeah. You know, obviously, go inside, eat dinner, whatever the case may be. But that means he's putting a lot of hours. He's learned how to shoot at like a really young age. Yeah talking about running the steps of the uh, projects, whatever, it's like, okay, like, they kind of figured it out very early on. It's like, okay, he's probably got a little something special to him. Yeah, and I thought that it was also uh, interesting to see that he was, I think he had four brothers, and he was the youngest of them, and the ones before him were just as good, if not Mm -hmm. better, than he was, but things kind of happened. It didn't really go uh, people's way to make it to the league, and when he made it to the league, he was like, man, it's been a long time coming, like 20 years, and just their family it's like we knew one of them was going to make it and uh starberry was that one so it was kind of like a filled prophecy for him yeah the youngest one ended up being the one and everybody kind of gets to go along the ride and see the ups and the downs that comes along with it yeah i also thought it was interesting how stefan marbury he played against his older brothers too and that kind of playing against harder competition formed him into being this basketball player that was literally the number one player in the nation in high school. I think he was averaging 26 and 8. That's, that's absurd in high school. Um, just giving dudes buckets left and right. 
But I think uh, that plan against better competition and older competition, I think his mom said in the documentary, she was like, oh, yeah, we know you can beat these guys. Like, we trained you to beat these guys. But can you beat these guys in the NBA? So it was kind of like they were training him for that from jump. It kind of makes you never be comfortable. It's especially because not just kind of like Jordan has the same story. You're playing against your older brother. It's like, dang, I beat him. So what? And if you don't beat him, it's like you need to get your game up. But then whenever you get to playing against guys your age, you're obviously dominant. In a lot of schools, I think they mentioned a lot of the times that those kids end up going like Catholic schools. But he decided to stay in the public basketball league. They end up playing in pretty big arenas, I think, like Madison Square Garden, if I'm not mistaken. And I just feel like that New York, uh, that kind of attitude that carries over into the basketball court really creates some elite players. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that kind of gets into, like, I know there's a huge debate about, you know, AAU and the fact that, like, a lot of people who, you know, play for those teams and whatnot are the people who can afford to play for those teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, But him staying in, like, a public school puts him, you know, in a position to play against other people who may not be able to afford to go to the Catholic school but are just as good, if not better, than those kids. Yeah. Um, And then it allows them, because, you know, if they're playing against, you know, the number one person, like, they also get, you know, a little bit of shine because, like, just being you know associated with him yeah and that was also uh it also brought up his upbringing his mom was saying how there were kids running around the house all the time like they had five kids in the house already but then they all had friends and everything and their little house was uh the hot spot for the neighborhood and I can kind of relate to that because that was how my house was whenever I was growing up um neighbors and different people always pull up but some of those kids that pulled up, uh, that played basketball with Starberry and them, uh, Kevin Garnett and Chauncey Phillips, <laughs> I thought that was uh, super crazy to hear that they grew up and they were like best friends and everything. And all three of those guys made it to the league and had some, a lot of success in the league too. Yeah, that's some crazy net value, I guess, potential yeah. in that case, just sitting in your house. And I think she said you like pulled a blanket. I was like, oh, there goes Kevin. Yeah. And then also <laughs> them sitting there talking about what he was like when he was younger. He was an energetic kid and stuff. And obviously, and I guess for Kevin Garnett, you say passionate, and that obviously continued. But what ended up, and then I also thought they talked a lot about in that part of, I guess, Coney Island, a lot of the success where they thought was either you're going to rap or you're going to play basketball. Yeah. You see that in a lot of areas. It's kind of like, especially for African Americans, you start to see more, like, towards the end of the documentary, he was like, you know, you could be the president, and like, okay, there's different ways yeah. and avenues that you can be successful. But in a lot of areas, especially if you spend a lot of your time to gym, it's like, look, go rap play this basketball you can play this football we ain't really with the gymnastics and the yeah. tennis yet we're still trying to get there but that's how you can become successful well but now obviously it's changed yeah hey what was that quote that you told me the other day uh about uh recruiters or something coming to the hood yeah so basically uh in the documentary one of the guys it was a newscaster uh white guy he said um so at this point in time, it is, as is the case across, you know, neighborhoods across the, the nation, white, whenever a white adult enters a black neighborhood, <laughs> they're either there to break the law, enforce the law, or recruit young athletes. <laughs> that's like, so true, Dang. though, uh, man. And that still kind of holds up today. Yeah, I was about to say 100%. Like, yeah. 99% of the time, I was like, okay, what they doing here? Uh, okay, they're going to... And then immediately after it has the white guy from UCLA, like, mm-hmm. hey, you can come to UCLA, yeah. do anything you want to be. I was like, perfect time. Exactly, exactly. All entertainment value. But uh, I think that also gets into the relationship between Kevin Garnett and Starberry, Stephon Marbury. Um, whenever Starberry got drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves, and um, him and Kevin Garnett actually had a chance to play together for a couple of years... And I bet that was cool to have, like, your best friend there with you and playing with them and going through different uh, trials and tribulations of being a professional athlete. But it ended up uh, driving a little wedge between them whenever the money came into play. Yeah, yeah. And then because I think Kevin Garnett had already signed the mega deal. I think I did the math. It was like 21, I think it was like six years, 126 million. Mm-hmm. So approximately 21 million a year in case you want to do the math. And then and the year, the next year later when it was time for Stefan to get his money, uh, the NBA had already like labeled that that was to be the last year they could have that, that amount. And so it kind of created some tension there. Yeah. Um, and I think the rule was that if one player signs to the max, you have to wait a certain amount of years before okay. another player signs. So I can see how that could drive a rift between two players where it's like, hey, we're both coming to this uh, team. We're both putting out this output, but mm-hmm. you're lauded as this star player. You get all this money. And there was even an interview where uh, 
people were asking them about the different money. Oh, you don't have Garnett money. That would be so awkward. I would be so mad at that interviewer. Like, uh, we'd have to throw hands. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Bro, you, you're going to ask me about my pockets on live TV. Nah, we this, can't have it. And this is why athletes, a lot of times, you have them just walking out the press conference. It's yeah. like, why did he do that? It's like, you ask him something like this. It's like, if you were in the same position, you wouldn't want somebody to ask you something like that. But also, he ended up going to... His dad wanted him to go to Syracuse, right? But he yeah. ended up going down to uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech, which is down in the A, which I thought was pretty cool because it's like you leave the New York inner city and then you come down to Atlanta down in the south. Yeah, I thought that was one thing that was uh, pretty consistent across his story. Like, he had multiple different locations that he went to. Like, of course, he was born and raised in Coney Island. Then he goes to Georgia Tech. Uh, I think he stayed there two years. Yeah. Um. So he's in Atlanta. Um. And then after that... Uh, Harley's making some noise. It's all good. Darius's dog. Um, but then after that, he obviously goes to um, Minnesota. And then one of the things that he was talking about was uh, how much of a culture shock that was, where he comes from New York, where it's all city and everything. And then he gets to this place where, oh, there's not even much to do. You're really by yourself. Like your whole family is somewhere else. So that's one thing that it's like, man being a 20 year old kid dealing with that that's something that would take some getting used to yeah i don't think a lot of people think about that uh so a lot of times these guys get drafted different places for some reason my mind goes to nfl and it's like the green bay it's like oh and this is why you have a lot of times players that currently play they always spend their whole off season like in california or yeah. la or something and literally they're only in their city during the season I think it's 82 games in an NBA uh, season. So 41 of those games are away. So it's like, I'm here literally for right now. But as soon as I'm done, I'm ready to ship off to wherever I want to be at. And I think and it's interesting, too, to think about, like, the time period. Because, like, now, say, for instance, obviously I'm not getting drafted anywhere. But, like, say, for instance, I want to move to Arizona. Like, I can find, you know, people who live in, on air, in Arizona on, like, social media and get an idea of, like, what it's like to live there. Yeah. Versus the only people that you have to, like, base your idea off of what this place is, is the people who, like, have a vested interest in getting you to move there. Yep. Yeah. So they can just paint it up to be this, like, you know, <laughs> utopia. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you sign that dotted line, you live in there, too. Unless yeah. you kind of force your say out. Which is something I feel like you see more common now than then. Yeah. Back then, I feel like you would have kind of been frowned upon through LeBron, what he's been doing. It's kind of like, yo, if you don't want to be there, don't be there. Yeah, but I think that's a testament to the whole player empowerment move yep. um, that's been going on recently. Like, in, it seems like the last, like, five years. And I think uh, social media has definitely played a part in the rise of the player's power and realizing that power because it's like, hey, we control this. Uh, without us, you guys wouldn't have anything. So I'm all here for that player empowerment. Um, but location-wise, I thought it was uh, – it also spoke to whenever he went back to New York and he played for the Knicks and all the uh, complications that were there. Um, whenever he came back, I think Fat Joe was talking about how whenever you come back, just imagine you got uh, your friend, you got your cousin, you got your your uncles. Like, oh yeah, let me get a ticket, let me do this, uh, like take care of me, do this, do this. All that pressure that's on you just by being home. That's something that I guess you don't always think about no. but until you're in the situation like Stefan Marbury's probably like man I just want to be back home but you forget about the, all the other things that come uh, along whenever you get home too I thought that was a very good point and then the guy what's the guy from Paid in Full that was in this documentary uh, Cameron yeah Cameron was saying he was like I have these issues with trying to get everybody in because everybody's mad if they don't get an invite to the game because mm -hmm. their cousin got an invite he's like I do that I do about three shows a year it's like imagine that being 41 games mm -hmm. and all of that when the pressure of playing basketball in New York and trying to be great at it because that's what the fans expect because it's like there's sellouts regardless so I thought that was really and then obviously it seems like he was down through some mental health there was a bad organization anyway yeah. so all of that right there on your shoulders that's a lot for anybody to take in and it seems like that's why nobody could be successful in New York and you even see nowadays Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Kyrie's from the New Jersey New York area yeah. he still don't want to go play there Yeah. so that's tough, tough things about playing in New York and I also thought that you touched on that mental health part uh, there was a lot of different stuff going on around the 2007 through 2009 time period. Like, obviously, the Knicks weren't good. But it was talking about how that pressure to get this franchise out of the gutter. And there was no one else really on the team. It was really just all Stephon Marbury. And then I think later in 2008, like, his dad passed away. Mm -hmm. So all that coming in and uh, playing a factor in 
what's going on in Stefan Marbury's head, he kind of had some mental health breakdowns and uh, through the back end of those years. So that's one thing that I remember uh, that being like the conception about Stefan Marbury. Oh, he uh, he's just a, a hothead or he can't play with anyone. And you hear guys get that type of label now. And it makes you really wonder why do we label these these athletes with this type of label and instead why don't we think about them and how their mental health is affected or what's going on off the court um, to contribute to the things that they're doing on the court something to think about what was the guy's name he plays for the cavaliers uh white guy i know you're talking about um he just delante west right no not him uh he was a three-point shooter for the cavaliers kyle corver Next one. Mike Mike, uh, Miller. No, we'll we'll think of his name. We'll think of his name. But he just brought it to attention on the Players Tribune. I think he came out with something this past year. And it just goes to show you, like, back then, it's like, oh, God, something wrong with this guy. But now, with this guy's name, we've got to think of his name. Do you know? Kevin Love. Yes. Uh, He's a three-point shooter. Was he not? I mean, he he, he can't shoot threes. But no, he's not? Nah, I mean, he can't shoot threes. That's crazy. I, I couldn't think of that. I was going to bug me to not know his name. <laughs> yeah. But Kevin Love brought it up this year, and you could just see how nowadays it's a lot more accepted. It's like, okay, we need to work on this. Versus back then, it's like, bro, this man is eating Vaseline. Yeah, he's and, crazy. And that was really disturbing to watch. Like, yeah. I don't know how – obviously, Americans can't do anything about it. I mean, they can, but, you know. Uh, it was like, how did everybody see that? And it's like, yo, something is badly off. Maybe yeah. a hopeful psychiatrist, somebody hit him up or something. Because that was yeah. disturbing to watch. There was one, and in the documentary, it shows a couple of them. It's like, it's one where he's just going on like a huge rant. And it's honestly might have been one continuous video. I don't know. But the the way the documentary shot it made it seem like it might have been three seconds. It was multiple different occasions where he would hop on like a live thing. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there was one where he went on a rant. There's another one where he used to Vaseline. And then there was one, he's he's listening to, it's a Kirk Franklin song. And I know it's it's one of my favorite songs. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely has me in my tears often but anyway uh beside the point uh but yeah he's crying on live and like a friend of his is just singing the song with him like patting his back too and i'm like we would have to fight i know i've said i've said that i would fight several people on this podcast I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not as violent as this episode might make it seem like i am but like if i'm having a mental breakdown and you are the type of person that just lets me on live like on we live Go ahead. We we gotta have a real conversation after I deal with my my own issues. We definitely we have to have a conversation. And the thing is, live to understand context, Instagram Live wasn't a thing back then, yeah, so yeah. this was not common. So it's like, wait, so he goes out to talk to the masses, and like this is the thing, and like you would expect something like that, maybe in your not even expected, but if you saw something like this, like okay, maybe you're doing that with the people around you, y'all trying yeah. to figure some things out. But for this to be like what you're projecting out, it's like yo, something's really off here. Yeah, that's one of the things too. Like I, I followed him, like I said on social media, but he was talking about, hey, I really started this whole Instagram Live thing yep. uh, back in the day. This is like 2008, um, but. Even with this whole live thing, having a mental breakdown, like in front of millions of people, if you were a regular person, that would look bad. Like just projecting that onto like a Mm -hmm. timeline of people that honestly, not all of them care about you. But being a professional athlete and having all of these different people, that's an extra no, no. Hey, I'm going to just say right now, if y'all ever see me on Instagram live crying, listen to Kirk Franklin, (laughs) unless I'm praising the Lord, y'all, please just take the phone out of my hand. Please just say, hey, bro, are you you okay, man? (laughs) Hey, you might want to cut off IG. We need to have a conversation uh, absent of the cameras. Yeah, but um, the one thing I will say is I'm glad that I think we as a society have moved to a place where I think it's become more acceptable for, like, men specifically, black men specifically, if we're being completely honest, to have, like, open and honest discussions about, like, mental health. Yeah. Um, And I definitely do think that there's still a long way for us to go. Uh, Because I was watching a documentary the other day. Well, it's not a documentary. I think it was a daily show with Trevor Noah. And basically, he was talking about, you know, mental health in the black community. Um, and saying that there's still like a huge need for like culturally competent like uh, mental health professionals mm-hmm. uh, because you know going into maybe like a white psychologist and explaining like hey I was you know dealing with this racist issue and it's upsetting me in this way like if you're talking to someone who doesn't know what it's like to have experienced that same thing yeah. that can make it make a person feel like there was no point in bringing it up anyway yeah. um, 
and just a bunch of stuff like that. And there's also there's a ton of studies that just suggest that um, the effects of racism and like that the effects that racism can have on like mental and physical health uh and so just having people who can understand that you know from firsthand not just hearing about it uh, is i think huge um but then also just you know dealing with men and mental health anyway uh i think it's huge because you know, it's just something we haven't talked about it's seen as weakness in a lot of places yeah and so, for sure yeah um and you also saw that through the documentary um he said he really had to get his relationship right with christ um mm-hmm to kind of battle some of those uh, demons that was in his head. But another thing that played a huge factor was his move to China, actually. Um, and I thought it was interesting the way he broke it down. And I don't know if y'all peeped, but uh, uh, that was the first time we actually saw him in the documentary after it was like introduced that he went to China and then they started interviewing him, then they introduced him. And I thought that was uh, interesting that they did it like that. And it made me kind of think, maybe they did that because he's kind of done with this past life that he was in yeah he's fully into this new mode he's a completely different person than who he was eating vaseline on instagram live uh, pre-instagram live um but he talked a lot about how whenever he went to china it was a whole nother world um and he went there kind of at a loss of words with who he was not only as a basketball player but as a man it kind of and, broken i guess yeah say. it definitely broken um but going somewhere else having to learn things everything's from the basics um you can really build yourself back up and sometimes i feel like that that's just a testament of a new environment might be something that you need sometimes like getting yourself out of a sit- certain situation and going to a completely new situation it might be scary but that might be that growth zone that you need to be and especially in this case specifically, we're talking about like a, a great story. Yeah. It's like then you end up becoming a legend in a different country. They mm-hmm. love you, and you literally go from being like kind of tolerated in the NBA, not even liked in a large, in a large portion, to being celebrated someplace because they love the talents that you have. And so with him coming out of that 1996 draft, last like him, Kobe, guys like that, Steve Nash, among others, it's like wow. So he basically went to another country and became a Kobe in his own light. Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. wasn't trying to emulate him, but yeah, definitely a change of environment sometimes needed. And this is just a great story about whenever uh, it successfully happens yeah and i think he's even like starting up his marbury brand back up like yeah. still doing the shoes and t-shirts and stuff like that uh and it's still affordable um but him moving to china and you know getting that you know fan base sort of back just enabling him to do that so i think it's definitely yeah definitely huge. He, he talked about how uh china just accepted him like uh no one else uh he's a black dude from coney island but yep. yet he has a whole statue in China, he has his own museum, like literally in Tiananmen Square. So, uh, in the documentary, they were saying like he's basically a god. I don't like to call anybody god, but um, he's definitely uh, at an elevated stature over there, and it's just cool to see. You might be this washed-up person over here in the United States, but there's a whole another world out there of people that view, might view you in a, another light. So, and I thought it was cool to see like how he came. For when he came from the U.S. and then when he went back, it's like yeah. a guy knew happiness. He just seemed happier, just brighter. It's just like, oh man, like that's exactly what you need. I think it's crazy how sometimes life will give you exactly what you didn't know that you needed, but it ends up it ends up benefiting you tremendously. And now you go back to being like this person with that grow had that confidence of the kid coming out of middle school or high school yeah. where the NBA had torn you down. It's like now you're back up again. Yeah, it was a whole energy shift. Yeah, and I also thought it was cool how. I looked at the end credits and I saw that Kevin Durant produced it or he was a part of the producing um he was an executive producer of that. So I thought this whole thing of player empowerment back to that discussion but also controlling the narrative of the story. Uh if this documentary wouldn't have came out or if social media wasn't a thing and Stefan Marbury wasn't able to tell like his side of things, we would probably just think, "Oh, Stefan Marbury's crazy. Remember when he was eating Vaseline?" Yeah. But you get this whole story that everything kind of makes sense where oh you had him feeling like he had all these obligations in new york with his family his friends uh him dealing with needing to shelter the weight of shoulder the weight of a whole organization with all these bad players and they're losing you got all this criticism around you and then his dad dies all that kind of comes into play with his whole mental breakdown so having an outlet to share that story and actually control the narrative is something that's super important and i love to see uh 
I'd love to see Kevin Durant get involved with it, but I know uh, LeBron with the Players Tribune, um, and there's so many different other mediums out there for athletes to actually get their stories out too. And I hope also what this would do is whenever people see like these athletes going through stuff, or maybe they don't see they're going through something, but it's like, yo, what's going on? By them telling these stories, it's like, okay, let's give them a break right now. We don't know what they're going yeah. through. Maybe if they're on, do- they're big time enough to eventually get documented, we might figure it out. But it's like, let's give them a break. Like Delonte West, whenever I think yeah. he was, it was so it was a bad scene of him. Uh, I think he was like. Like he was in like a fight, a homeless in yeah. a fight or something with somebody, and it's like yo, we don't know that story. So instead of especially because how Twitter works, it's like it turns into memes. It's like yo, give him a second. Like there's probably yeah. a story that's behind. It's just like because we at one point thought Marbury was crazy. Yeah. It's like yo, there was a whole bunch of shit going on in his head. Yeah, and I mean, it just reminds us that like, you know, just because you see someone on TV, like it's still a person that you see on TV, like a human being with thoughts, feelings, emotions, things that they have to deal with. Um, and so I was just reminded of the quote. I think we quoted it the last episode, or whichever episode it was we talked about, Just Mercy. Um, mm-hmm. Brian Stevenson said that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just think that this just goes to show us that, you know, you're not just your lowest moment, but you're everything that happens over the course of a lifetime. Yeah, and seeing that low moment, kind of like halfway through the documentary, and then seeing the end of the documentary, it literally made me so happy to see how happy he was. And I don't have any relation to Stefan Marbury other than we're, we're both black males, but just seeing what he went through, him at his lowest point, or what I perceive to be his lowest point, and then seeing how he how well he was received in China, and he literally just looks happier. Uh, even at the end of the documentary where he's kind of hanging out in the barbershop with uh, that young boy, and he was speaking life into him. He was like, hey man, you can be the president of the United States if you want. Um, just speaking life and speaking good energy, and you can feel that radiate off. So that just made me happy. I couldn't stop smiling. So big shout out to uh, Stefan Marbury. And then literally, because the little boy's so young, it's like he's speaking life to you. All right, now it's your turn to go do it. Like, yeah. I did it. Y'all just watch the whole thing. Now it's your turn to go do it. And I'm pretty sure the little boy, and the little boy ended up getting the haircut that he used mm-hmm. to get, which yeah. is a different kind of cut. That was that was, that was absolutely great. And it seemed like even he got kind of emotional. It's like, y'all can inspire. Yeah. And stuff like that. So shout out, y'all. Go make sure. Make sure y'all go check that one out. You won't regret it. Yeah, and I think uh, that whole inspiring thing, like you never know, they might be the the next great quarterback. They might not even be a basketball player, but hey, they might end up being one of these uh, great and successful black quarterbacks out here, man. It's the year of the black, the year of the black quarterback yes. because we're dominating the decade. It's the freaking decade of the black quarterback. I know y'all saw the news drop. Patrick Mahomes end up signing a ten year extension. Yeah. Worth four hundred seventy-seven million. Y'all know I gotta give y'all the numbers. I'm a football guy. With another twenty-six million in potential bonuses for mm. a total of five hundred three million. Which Half is, a billion. That's bro. That's a lot of money that's a to lot. do with something that you love to do. Yeah. Uh, which is the richest contract in the history of North American sports. But in order for you to under in the wise words of futures, you know how far we come if you know where we've been. So mm. I got to take you back to Matt's class. Nick Cannon calls it Cannon's class. We call it Matt's class. It's a little <laughs> bit of history. So whenever it first started, obviously you had black quarterbacks. Well, at first they didn't even like black quarterbacks being um, black guys being quarterbacks because that was always a thing of they don't know aren't smart enough or aren't able to lead an offense. That used to be a huge thing, and you even used to see. Sometimes where these guys would maybe be able to do it at the high school level, the college level, but then they would like when you get to NFL, like no, you're gonna play corner. Yeah, like I said, no, you you can't do that. That's that's too, and you also used to see that with centers, mm-hmm. but he's like caused the offensive line. Yeah, it's like nah, you're not smart enough to do that. Although we know they obviously are, but you really start to see that mold change. And for example, a guy Doug Williams, who was a Redskin, who was the Redskins' first round pick out of Grambling State, yeah. which is an HBCU. Shout out. Y'all know the Grambling State mascot. Mascot? No. <laughs> I used to always see that golden G. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> and, then, and I think they have a really good marching band, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. Bro, yeah. HBCU, bro, of course. Yeah, they, so. <laughs> this is a fun fact, in case anyone was wondering. I believe that they're actually, they were the band that played for Beyonce's Homecoming. Oh, I thought you were about to say Drumline. And I was like, oh, oh no. that makes sense. But Homecoming, that yeah. makes sense. That's dope. Shout, shout out, out Beyonce. Hey, shout out Beyonce. Bro. Yeah, the queen. Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he was the 17th pick in the first round of the 1978 NFL draft. And he ended up being the first black quarterback taken in the first round and the first one to win the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. Mm. But to go back to his college, he was a four-year start at Gremlin State, led the Tigers that's the mascot, the Tigers. Tigers. To a thirty-six to seven record, three Southwestern Athletic Conference titles, and was rewarded the Black College Player of the Year twice. Mm. 
get this, in 1977, he finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting after a history-making season where he led the NCAA in passing yards and touchdowns. Wow. And I feel like this was not known as well just because, obviously, it's an HBCU. And the publicity wasn't quite as what it is today. And if it was, it was probably at, like, you know, like, USC, Clemson, places yeah. like that. But bro was killing it. Yeah. And Gramlin State to come up fourth in the Heisman race, like, that tells you in itself how great he was as a yeah. player. And then to end up winning a Super Bowl, being the first black quarterback, man. And when I saw him, I was like, oh, I've seen that guy before. He's not, like, one of the big analysts. Mm-hmm. But you will see him, like, sometimes on the sidelines at games. It's like, hey, I may have seen this dude before. But there was also another guy who was, I guess a little across the river, Warren Moon, who killed it at the University of Washington. Those are the Huskies. And won a Rose Bowl, his senior, I think his senior or junior year, won a Rose Bowl over Michigan, with, got the MVP, and it went undrafted. Mm. And it's like, bro, you said at the University of Washington, I think that's a Pac-8 at that time. Yeah. That's a major so. conference. It's like, yeah. how does that guy beat Michigan, and he goes undrafted in 12 rounds? Wow. Because, see, nowadays, how many, I think there's like seven, seven or eight rounds. Round. Seven. Yeah. yeah, there's seven. So back whenever there was 12, it's like there's no excuse for that. But it didn't even matter because he ended up going to the Canadian Football League, won five straight championships, wow. and then they brought him back to the NFL. Uh, he played with the Houston Oilers from 1984 to 1999. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1994. And he had a great career there and was the first African-American quarterback to enter the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So major shout-out to Warren Moon. Quincy Avery dropped this the year of the black quarterback production. It kind of really started to inform me on these guys. There's a lot of guys you never really heard of. Yeah. Or maybe you heard a little bit more about, but in Matt's class, we try trying to take you to school. <laughs> <laughs> shout-out Matt's class. But what ends up happening, and then so from there on, you see guys like Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb, Byron Leftwich went to uh, – he was in Huntington, West Virginia at Marshall during that time. Mm. Huntington, West Virginia is not a good place for black people. Yeah. So – The name the name just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound great. <laughs> and then also guys like Pat White. Do you remember Pat White? I've heard of the name before. Pat White was a monster at West Virginia. He was the one who kind of brought them to, like, prominence to the point where I was listening to Pat McAfee's show. And it's like they were going to – because he was kicker. He was a kicker on that team. Like, every game they went to was, like, sold out. Yeah. And at West Virginia at that time, that wasn't common. Yeah. But in Pat White, in case uh, what the athletic director for West Virginia is listening, y'all need to get his name up and reti- his jersey retired because mm-hmm. there's a big thing going on about that. And also, he needs to be invited to the College Football Hall of Fame. He used to be a cheat code on NCAA football, <laughs> an absolute cheat That's code. That's probably where I remember that name from. Though. Yeah, because he, he could run. I remember there were several games he ran for 200 yards, passed for 200 yards. In case you're not a sports fan, that's a lot of running. That's a lot of throwing. Hey, he was making it happen. That sounds like some Lamar Jackson stats right there. Yeah, that's the guy I was about to mention. Then you got you know your Chris Leaks, the guys who played at Florida. Uh, he played at Florida before Tebow, more among the Lamar Jacksons, Deshaun Watsons. Russell Wilson's Cam, Cam Newton. Newton. I was like, <laughs> Cam Newton. I was like, this man can't speak over Cam. <laughs> I had literally Google. All right, we're full disclosure here. I Googled. I was like, I don't want to miss any of like the major ones. They'd be yeah. like, how this man didn't mention him? So I guess we got the one Colin Kaepernick too. Yes, sir. But all like all that to say. So from us going from uh, our guy Doug Williams to Patrick Mahomes being the uh, getting the biggest contract in sports history yeah. it's like we've come a long way in the decade the black quarterback now all we just got to do is getting some ownership as far as getting a black owner yes. so therefore we're not just a talent we're on, we have ownership as well yeah um and this whole year the black quarterback thing i feel like it's been a, the past couple of years actually mm-hmm. um and I, I talk with my brother all the time huge panthers fan shout out d germs but uh he loved watching cam and he was like man he's just killing it right now um and you saw some of the flack that cam got uh early in his career even before he got drafted oh we're not too sure about cam he He's got some questionable uh, attributes here and there. And you see that all the time with black quarterbacks. It's like they pick and choose uh, different things to knock them down. And, bro, perfect case point, Mitchell Trubisky gets drafted over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Bro, all right, that changes the Bears franchise. The Bears, whoever made that decision, y'all deserve what y'all are getting because you had two guys right there that are going to be in the Hall of Fame, and you just pick – this guy, not no diss to Mitchell Trubisky, but he he's not good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. So, all that to say, you're just looking over talent just because maybe subconsciously you think that a black quarterback can't do it. Yep. Hey, you're gonna pay for that mistake. <laughs>
Yeah, because I guess Mitchell kind of fit the mold. And what's crazy was Deshaun, if anybody's watched college football, saw what he did at Clemson. Yeah. And then what, saw what Mitchell did in the same conference. Like and it's a, like this man took out two, went to two national championships, won one of them. The other one, he did all he could. The team just, just didn't pan out, I guess you could say. Meanwhile, Mitchell, I think, didn't even start but even for like one or two yeah, seasons. Yeah. But it's like, you get, like you said, you're getting what you paid for at this point. And so now they're still trying to struggle finding find a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, those two other teams, it's like they got their guy. Yeah. One of them just got half a billion dollars. Yeah. I know we're kind of leaving you out, bro. I'm sorry. Bro. I'm just making sure that I get a couple mm-hmm's in there. <laughs> yep, that's, right. that's a good one. <laughs> that's right. Yes, I guess we done talked a lot about sports. So I guess we can go into a different realm. Darius, what you got? Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so to lighten, well, I mean, this has been a pretty light episode, comparatively speaking. We've been hitting uh, the... <laughs> hey, sorry for all the weight um, in the past episodes, but important conversation. So to lighten it up a little bit, we thought we would switch it up. Yeah, so we're going to see uh, whose black card is about to get revoked. Oh, man. Uh, hopefully none of ours. Pray for us if that's your thing. <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to do, uh, we're going to ask a couple questions that have just, like, actual answers. Mm. Uh, but then there's also going to be a couple more, like, open-ended ones okay. to just kind of the... Q&A, Q&A. Yeah, exactly. Hey, um, no, nobody come for me in my black card, man. <laughs> okay, boom. So question number one. What's the most liable to get you cussed out at the cookout? A, mess up the potato salad. B, renege during spades. <laughs> C, don't bring anything. Or D, you walk in and don't speak. Walk in and don't speak. I don't know. I don't know how to play spades. So I can't bro. speak or not. Hey, go my hey, card. Take the card right now. Nah, I, I would take your card. I just learned how to play spades. <laughs> oh, man. Because, see, that's the thing. Black people will always shade you for not knowing how to Facts. play spades, but will never teach you. That's a fact, bro. Hey, you tell somebody, hey, I don't know how to play spades. You don't know how to play spades. <laughs> hey, that's how it is every single time. Um, so what do you think it is? I, I said not speaking. Bro, the worst thing is when you're playing spades, you got a good game going. And your partner reneges, and you're like, man, you just messed everything up. So for me personally, I would say reneging in spades. Gotcha. Well, they said walk in and not speak. Okay. I, I get, I get. Also, messing up the potato salad. That's that's up there. Yeah. We can't just ignore <laughs> that. Those there. are all bad. I yeah. was thinking uh, that walking without speaking also get some folk talking about you too. It's like who could, who brought yeah. such and such and don't know how to speak. Hey, that should be against the law in, in black households for sure, but in all households, that's yeah. just so disrespectful, bro. I can't imagine owning a home. <laughs> And then, like, my, my son brings home somebody, and they just walk in, like, they don't this say nothing. Hey, I would sit there and wait. I would just be like, so, uh, like, did you see me? <laughs> did you see me? Because if you see me, I know better. Yeah. That's say, is, your, is your daddy a glassmaker? Like, listen. <laughs> but, yeah, what's the next one, bro? All right, boom. This is another one that has an answer, but anyway. All right, which one of these is your mom not? A, Jesus. B, boo-boo the fool. <laughs> C, somebody else's mother. Or D, one of your little friends. Bro, hey, let me add an extension to that last one. I'm not one of your little friends from down the street. <laughs> yeah. My mom says that religiously, literally still to this day. I'm not one of your little friends down the street. So it's, it's D for me. I'm going to go with boo-boo the fool. <laughs> what I, about you, Adarius? I don't know. My mama was either, well, she was not. She wasn't boo-boo the fool, but she also wasn't one of my little friends. So, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. So which one was it? They didn't give an answer for this one. I think I this think is the, open ended. But. I think those are all applicable though. Yeah. You think I'm boo boo the fool? You think I'm yeah, yeah, I hear it all. Oh man. Okay, so let's get let's get another open ended one. What might mama say you need in order to get some McDonald's? A a job. <laughs> B a clue. C good grades. D McDonald's money. <laughs> hey, a clue. That's funny. I haven't heard that one before. You need to get a clue. <laughs> hey, that's wild. Uh I will take D final answer. Uh McDonald's money. My I, parents are both uh frugal people, so they were always like there's food at the house. So unless you got your own money, which I never did, <laughs> I wasn't getting that McDonald's. It's so funny because they know you don't have your money. Yeah. So it's like you ain't got no money. You got some money? No. All right, we'll just go ahead and pass by. I'm gonna say a job. I remember the reason I even got my first job because my mom was telling me no for everything. Yeah. I was like, look, I can't keep living like this, so I had to make something happen. Is that open anymore? Or that is the answer to that. Yeah, they didn't give an answer for that one either, but I definitely I would probably say McDonald's money. <laughs> but that's the thing. Okay, so I hope my mom and I listen to this. So you can listen to any of the other ones. Um, but anyway, sometimes, like, I would have McDonald's money and we still wouldn't stop. <laughs> I'm like, 
It's I like met the, the qualifications. Yeah. <laughs> That's the double question. You got money? Yeah, I got money. Well, you ain't do your homework, so we still yeah. not good. <laughs> hey, they take it as disrespect if you have that money. They're like, hey, do you have money? And they're expecting you to say no. You're like, no, actually, I do. And they're like, nah, we already passed it now. We got to go. <laughs> and you talking back all yeah, of the whole thing. They don't like that. What yeah. we got next? So who is the true king of R&B? This was a, a debate a while back. Jacquees. Jacquees. I was thinking that. I was thinking that because he was on the breakfast club talking about it. What are the other ones? Uh, so the four selections they got are R. Kelly. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chris Brown, Keith Sweat, and then Jacquees. Those okay. are the top four. This is such an Adarius question, guys. Uh, like I said last episode, Adarius has put me on so much music in the last like couple of months. Like I said, did not grow up in a secular household. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pass, phone a friend on this one. I will phone you, Adarius. Okay. So my answer then and my answer now, possibly my answer until proven otherwise, uh, I'm taking Usher Raymond, who was not an <laughs> option, but I think that he deserves to be in this conversation. Yeah. Um, if you had asked me a couple years ago before I knew the full facts of who this person was, I probably would have said R. Kelly, mm. but... Man's is canceled for a very good reason. No shout out to him. Yeah, not a, not a single one. He won't be on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey, edit, promise you that. Edit that one out. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm taking U S H E R R A Y M O N D. And if you don't get that reference, you're too young to be listening to this podcast. Hey, I am too young to be listening to this podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. Rated um, R once again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I can think of is I was wondering. Now, what's that guy's name? If you could take you out. So here's my number. Yeah, uh, yeah. Charlie Wilson. Charlie Wilson. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> my name Charlie. Oh, this is Last okay. So Wilson. This is one y'all should be able to answer. Uh, this is a majority rules one, so just whatever floats y'all's boat. We go with it. What is that one gospel song everybody knows, even if you don't go to church? So they gave us a couple selections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, Mary, Heaven. Never would have made it, Marvin Sapp. Oh. Stomp by Kirk Franklin, or Break Every Chain, Tasha Cobbs. I feel oh. like Never Would Have Made It might be a little bit. That Break Every Chain is common now, mm-hmm. but I feel like growing up might have been uh, uh, Never Would Have Made It. Bro, yeah, I would say Never Would Have Made It. Uh, quick fun fact: my dad used to be the uh, choir director for our church, so I know all these songs that intro to never would have made it <laughs> hey, when you hear that you know it's about to be a good day in the yeah. church but, yeah you know it's going, i'll take yeah. i'll take that one i like Am- amazing grace is a pretty common one too mm-hmm. because that's at funerals i remember todd you're by way right that's yeah by i remember whenever todd trivet came to buy uh by boy Bro, the back school bash, i did not know he was such a big deal i loved his energy though yeah. he's got a church out there in orlando i think orlando now uh it's co- Dang, I just knew the name. They used to do a lot of clippings on Instagram or whatever. But yeah, bro, I remember when he came, I didn't realize he was such a big deal. And I was listening to him the other day. I'm like, yo, he was at my boy. And I just, yeah. I was like, oh, another Wait, guy. Were you there? Yeah, I was in the building. Bro, I was there too. Okay, so me and Matt, we've <laughs> known each other. I- I'll say we crossed paths before we yeah. actually knew each other. But went to a lot of different uh, church things. And it's just crazy that you say that you were there. Because I was up in the balcony that day. Too, yeah. Like, man, this guy's really going hard. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that was dope. Because he's like a little dude, but man was coming with He yeah. definitely brings that energy with him. Yeah, yeah man, it's always that energy. Um, I heard, I can't remember where I heard this from. But a person told me once that if you really want to know if somebody like is saved, you ask them what their favorite gospel song is. Mm. And if they said never would have made it, they have not been to church. Oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> They'd probably go every Easter and then they'd be good for the year. Hey, my man Smokey Norfolk is probably one of my hey. favorites. What's bro. his most popular song? Ooh. I Need You Now was up there. I Need You Now was my song growing up. I would shed multiple tears listening to that. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of good ones out there uh, as far as artists and stuff. Uh, the bro- We brought in... I feel like I should know this guy. Byron, Byron Courtney Finn. Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were at the convention center, I think, last year on Easter. He came. I was like, I'm going to go us doing big things now. But I might hit on one of these gospel concerts once we once uh, the world opens back up. Might be a Lord yeah. knows I need to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, throwback to a couple episodes ago. Before he was a member of the Nation of Islam, what was Malcolm X called? What was he called? Yeah. A little red, in it? So. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Switching gears. <laughs> so they gave us a couple selections: Young Slim, A, B, Little Red, C, Brother Harlem, or D, Detroit Red. Uh, Har- oh, Detroit Red! I remember that. Yeah, one. I remember Detroit Red, but it was also no, it wasn't Little Red. I remember they called him Red, but they yeah. also called him Detroit Red too. They also did call him Satan. Too. Yeah, that, that, that was in jail. jail. That was yeah. in jail. So, 
And yo, I was thinking about it. For somebody them be calling him Satan in jail, like bro really must have been on one yeah, in jail. That's a fact. Last one. If young Metro don't trust you, what might future do? <laughs> a call the police. B shoot you. C fight you. D beat you. I think it's call the police, isn't it? If man, Mitch, don't trust you, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, shoot you. Yeah, yeah, is it? <laughs> I'm mess- hey, do not take my black card over there. I was messing. Hey, just, just ha- listen how stupid it sounds. If your Metro don't trust you, I'm going to call the police. Like, that just doesn't hit. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. It's funny because uh, future, I, what y'all do? What's your, right, we're switching gears from the gospel thing to the future thing. What's your favorite album is? I really like Hendrix. Hendrix was great. I remember he came out with Future and Hendrix like back to back weeks, and that was just, you know, the uh, the LeBron and Kyrie performance in like Game Five. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> hey, where they both had like forty one or whatever. <laughs> That's literally prime Future. Literally both of those two albums back to back, amazing. But Hendrix, um, the one with my collection, um, Exotic, so many good ones on that one. Uh, I like the one with I think he was on there with Drake. I think they had an album in twenty. I got what a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah what a time yeah. to be alive. That's definitely my favorite. What about you? Yes, yeah, so we done switched uh, genres. <laughs> <laughs> this is not in my wheelhouse at all. I'm much more like R and B, that whole sort okay. of thing. Uh, I do like What a Time to Be Alive though, just because I'm more of a Drake fan than a Future fan. But I agree. Yeah. All right, fellas, well, I think we done captured just about everything on in this episode. <laughs> another, another wide ranging episode. <laughs> As always, appreciate y'all tuning in, man. Um, do we have any reviews this time? Uh, do we have one? Maybe two? Maybe three? I think we actually did have the one. Um, oh snap! Apple. Hey, shout out to that person who sent a review. Yeah. And for Honestly. the rest of y'all that listening, please stop leaving. Yeah, we need them. <laughs> We're begging. <laughs> <laughs> We're about at that point now. Also, like I always say, tell your mama, tell her mama, tell her grandmama to start listening to the podcast, send it to them on Instagram. Yeah, and let us know any topics that y'all would like to uh, hear about, too, that you think we would do a good job of covering. We know we got... Uh, the lawyer here, Darius, who uh, can answer any historical questions. So definitely <laughs> drop those in there. <laughs> so this pot, this ooh, this pot, this review for our podcast is on Apple, uh, coming from Deontay from USC. Shout out to hey, you, whoever shout you out are, Deontay. <laughs> so title: Great podcast and great energy. The host of the Dominate the Decade podcast never failed to put out dope content that also highlights important issues and historical events. Love the energy in these. Love the energy from these guys and recommend this podcast to everyone I know. Yo, hey, shout out to Deontay, man. Hey, shout out, I man. don't know who you are. Maybe we should reach out to him on Instagram or something. <laughs> really appreciate that, man. We appreciate the love. Now go recruit others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as always, appreciate everybody listening. Um, like, rate, subscribe, do all of that uh, good stuff. And just appreciate you guys listening this far. That's it for me. Anything else for y'all guys? That's it. Peace. Adios. I got a kid just flavor here. Ah, that boy Steezy. This bitch. It's all the Mexico Ram, nigga. Better year. That you and I'm Boston, they call you barbarian. All I see is stars fly, bitch. I'm from Maryland. Money on file, and I'm sipping not stop from cooking up dough. Got more fish than an aquarium. Bitches up a pose for a free band president. I'm counting up the show while I'm counting up these presidents. Slide down on the new day, but that's what we about. Ride around with a two liter, I'm so cold up. Two city plush, three racks in the bump. I feel goons in the cut. I treat them just like brothers